Get 15% off the fullest entire product line with code the fullest podcast at checkout. One of the main ingredients in our product line, saffron, has been proven over and over again in clinical double blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. From caffeine-free latte powders to saffron baths and capsules, there's something for any modern woman looking for ancient healing. Again, that's code the fullest podcast at checkout for 15% off. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Mark Sklar, who's also known as the Fertility Expert. He's a natural fertility specialist leading a team of fertility experts whose mission is to help you believe in your fertility and empower your body to create a healthy pregnancy by supporting and coaching you during your journey to motherhood. In addition to his doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine, Mark trained at the Harvard Medical School Mind Body Medical Institute. He's the creator of MarkSklar.com and ReproductiveWellness.com, the co-author of Secret to Conception, and a fellow of the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine and medical advisor for Natural Health International. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Nikki. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I'm so happy that I came across your work and I feel like it's not often where you can find someone who's not just a fertility expert, but also just even in your own words, like really empowering women to trust their own body and to believe in their fertility. And I think in this day and age, there's so much fear around it. And I'm just really excited to dive into this conversation with you. And I'm someone who has two children. I didn't struggle with fertility issues, but um, I did have stuff with my cycle before because of my Hashimoto's early on. But, mm. you know, I, I don't know. I think just lifestyle and nutrition is so important. And also just, I know you have so many different things that you recommend that are all on the same page as what we love, including steaming and castor oil packs. So I'm so excited to dive in, but I guess the first thing I want to ask you is how you found yourself in this line of work. Yeah. Well, you know, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me here. I, I always love talking about this. And um, as you mentioned, my goal is to really empower women. I think that that piece is such an important piece when we do fertility work and reproductive work and, and hormones because so much of that power that we have as individuals oftentimes gets taken away from us or has made to feel, we're made to feel like we don't have it. So that's a big part of what I like to, to work on and, and support. But for me, it all started many years ago, over 20 years ago, I wanna say 21 years now, if I, if I do the math right. And I, I always knew that I loved working with people. I always knew that I loved working with women and working with hormones. But really the, the spark that pushed me down this road was when I helped the first woman 
that I started working with get pregnant. She had PCOS. Um, I was still in school at the time and she came to the school clinic and wanted some support. And within five months, she was pregnant. She couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And she was able to have her, her um, little girl um, who she named Faith. And that moment when she told me that she was pregnant, actually, it was me telling her she was pregnant because she didn't believe she was pregnant. <laughs> but that moment when I was able to um, be part of that process, that special moment with her and her family um, and help them grow their family and have children, that really just moved me. It, it, it changed my life. And I often joke that as much as I helped her grow her family, and, and I'm sure I was you know, a big factor in that process for her, like to her, that was a big deal. I think the way she impacted me in my life was a much bigger deal because it changed the course of my career and allows me then and now to impact so many other couples and women's in their lives and in their journey to have children. And, and to me, that's much, you know, that's such, that's a much bigger impact than me helping her have children. So she allowed me to help so many others in the world. And, and that's really the spark that pushed me in this direction um, and uh, got me to say that this is, this is what I want to do because there's nothing more amazing and special and powerful than when you get that phone call or email that says we're pregnant and to be a little part of that process for all the couples that we support and work with to me is is uh, really special what a beautiful story i love that so much and what an impact that you both made on each other yeah so what inspired you to go the like acupuncture and oriental medicine route did you have a background in and an interest in natural medicine early on i know you went to harvard and studied there and you know i'm just curious why you chose that path yeah so my undergraduate university was university of florida and when i started there i was pre-med and and i liked the work that i was doing but there was something that was off and I just couldn't put my finger on it. And it, and it just, there was something that told me this wasn't for me at that moment in time. And so I always knew I wanted to do something with medicine and helping people, but I wasn't clear as to what that was. And, you know, when you're trying to decide at school what you want to do, I think, oh, you want to help people and you want to do medicine pre-med, like that's just what you do. But clearly very quickly, that wasn't what resonated with me. And while I was figuring that piece out uh, in undergraduate, I, I just became relatively sick. I had a lot of digestive issues and um, I wasn't feeling well. And there was nothing that my physicians were able to do. They, they really just didn't have answers for me. And so at the suggestion of one of my relatives, she suggested seeing an acupuncturist. And she had pushed me many times before to go see an acupuncturist, but I just really didn't have any reason up until that point in time. And so the only thing that really started to make a shift where I started to feel better and my digestive system wasn't kind of bogging me down every day was acupuncture. And so I never thought that I would go into that as a career, but after I graduated undergraduate and I knew I had to go back to school for something because I ended up graduating with a degree in comparative religion. And that's a long story that I won't bore anybody with, but, um, I love it. <laughs> you know, but I, but I, I knew that I needed to do something else. It, it wasn't what I was going to do long-term. And so my acupuncturist at the time had suggested, well, why don't you look at going to Chinese medicine school? And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea. It was really impactful for me. I thought that was 
That was a good suggestion. It's just nothing that I ever thought of. And and I did like medicine and I knew that I wanted to help people. So I thought it was a, a great suggestion. And I said, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to go to school. And if I don't like it, you know, I'll give it six months or a year. If I don't like it, then I'll move on to something else. It's not the first time I've changed my mind. And I never looked back. It was uh, the best decision I ever made. And it, and it was, you know, just a wonderful thing, you know, thing to do. Um, and I fell in love with the medicine and how impactful it could be. Um, and, and, but I've taken that in such a different direction as I've practiced because I have a really fond admiration for um, conventional medicine or Western medicine, whatever terminology you want to use for that. I just find that it's too rigid and that if we can start to integrate Western medicine and uh, Chinese medicine, and I also practice functional medicine and functional medicine, that I think we really start to support individuals in the most comprehensive way possible and they get the best of all the different types of medicines that that we can offer them for them to get the best results to function optimally and and hopefully the fastest results and so you know where i moved away from uh, conventional medicine for my own personal health many many years ago and it wasn't something that i wanted to do professionally it's something that I have a lot of respect for, and if it's done the right way, and if we can blend it the right way with you know all the other things that we do. So, I think all the medicines that we have have a place and need to be respected as long as we can integrate them for each individual based on their needs in the right way. That's a really beautiful philosophy. I, I'm super radical, so I'm always like, I, I respect Western medicine too, but then I'm like they're indoctrinating people in the colleges and they're not able to really think for themselves. And like, I just like go down this rabbit hole, but then I also respect it so much because I say this almost in like every podcast episode, but my children have what's called MCAD, which is a really rare genetic condition that they were born with that my husband mm -hmm. and I are carriers of. So um, anyways, like I wouldn't have known that were it not for the newborn screening. And I'm like one of those people that's like opt out of everything. Don't touch my child. Less is more. I don't want anything to do with it. But, you know, I also am so grateful that Western medicine was the reason why we were able to find out about that and manage it like naturally. So but I'm very radical. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> I so I am really curious um, about learning about your natural fertility method because I'm curious about your thoughts on IVF and IUI. And I'm like that person that's like, okay, if your body's not functioning like properly, what's going on? Like, let's not go to the extreme yet. Let's take the time to like look at what's going on. But I also know a few of my friends that have had incredible holistic lifestyles and they're really committed to their health and they've kind of gone down that route as a last resort, which I also appreciate because they understood, um, you know, their body and they made that decision for themselves and it, everyone should be empowered to make the right choice for them. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, because I also have heard that IVF cause it can cause cancer. And I don't think that that's shared a lot. And I, I don't know, again, like I could I don't really know. This isn't my forte. So I want to learn from the expert. Is that true? And what's your approach to natural fertility? So many good questions and, and thoughts and everything <laughs> you just said here. So um, I, hopefully I can remember all of it to, to comment on all of it. But if I don't, just yeah. bring me back, bring me back full <laughs> circle and, and we'll get to it. But yeah. um, no, look, I think um, 
I don't think you're incorrect when you say, you know, the the medical system and the medical schools are indoctrinating doctors to not think for themselves. I, I, I don't think there's anything inaccurate with that statement. But I also think that's important for the type of medicine that conventional medicine offers, right? Like there's a process to everything. It's very algorithmic and you've got to think through those things to get to a point. And maybe if they didn't think through those things, you know, you wouldn't have found the the genetic issues that your children have. And, and maybe, um, you know, my kids have had issues, you know, as being kids and all kids do. And, and maybe those things wouldn't have been found without those logical reasoning and algorithms that are there and in place. So I do think some of that needs to be there in the Western medical system. I think it would be nice if they were also taught after that <laughs> to think for themselves and, and start to integrate some different things so that we can have a more comprehensive approach to patient care. I do think some of that is coming down the road, albeit slowly, and, and I think you are seeing that change over time, but, but that's going to happen with each individual provider over time. So. I, I don't disagree, and, and I'm sure you and I can spend a lot more time talking about that piece of it, but we see the same thing in the fertility space. So that's probably one of my bigger issues with the way reproductive health and fertility is managed in our modern system and world today, because you go into your OBGYN's office, they run maybe a couple of tests, nothing very comprehensive because they just don't have the time nor the expertise to devote to something like that, they will look at those labs and say, and that's only after you've waited six to 12 months or longer, right? Because they don't want to give you the time before that. And so, and they're also instructed not to. And so then you run a couple labs, they look at it, oh, you're fine. And, you know, just keep trying or you're not, let me send you to the IV, let me send you the fertility clinic, which is really the IVF clinic. And so then you have these couples who are pushed towards IVF unnecessarily or prematurely or you have these couples who are told everything's fine, just keep trying when that's not necessarily the case because their OBGYN didn't really look at things properly. And so I think we end up in this little conundrum when that happens and that's challenging for the for the individuals and couples because they're just you know taught to trust the physician who's guiding them and and let's just, okay they say I should do this, I'm just going to keep doing this, right? I think Part of that comes back to, and we talked about some free thinking and individual thinking as it comes to physicians. I think that also comes to us as individuals and patients ourselves, right? Just because your doctor is recommending something or doing something doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to think through that properly on your own and have some free will and thought to um, logically reason with that and say, yes, this makes sense or doesn't or ask more questions to make a sound decision for yourself. Like we still are individuals and we oversee our, our lives and our on our own health. And so with that, we can't just give up those decisions to those people who told us what to do. I think it's fine if we follow along after we've done some critical thinking and made sure that it worked for us. And so I think that burden needs to be shared by everybody involved in that process. And I think that's an important piece I also think we have to understand, just like you mentioned, that everything has a reason. Everything has a cause. Why am I in this situation? Why am I having to deal with this right now? Um, you know, we're all faced with different circumstances in life, and and we all have our own different health issues over time. But why? 
And that's the piece that I keep coming back to when I talk to couples who I work with. It's we want to understand why. And the why, when we start talking about natural fertility support, is not always having to do with fertility. We get pigeonholed because of the way our modern medical system is, and we've been preconditioned to understand our bodies in the same way because of this, is that everything is separated into specialties. So, oh, I'm having issues with my uterus and ovaries, so I'm going to go see my gynecologist and then from there, the fertility doctor. But what if you really don't have issues with your ovaries or your uterus, even though you're having difficulty conceiving? What if there's other systems, other hormones, other things that are impacting your ability to conceive? Is that going to be even caught when you're evaluated by your OBGYN or fertility doctor? And often that answer is no, because they have their blinders on. They're only running certain labs. They're only looking at certain systems and certain body, um, and, and certain organs. And that is good in one sense, because they are the master of something very specific. It's also It also can be a detriment when we need something a little bit more broad. And that's where I think we thrive because we're going to look at the whole body with the specific understanding of, of fertility, but recognizing that other systems can impact your, uh, your fertility and hormones and with knowledge to understand what's going on in these other systems and how do we handle those things to also support your fertility. And so I, I think all of that is really, really important, but I think a lot of that, that shift, that you know, consciousness that needs to happen to, to seek that out or to get more additional support really is not just the burden of the medical system, it's also the burden of the consumer, right, of the public, because they are going to drive changes in, in anything, and healthcare is what we're talking about. And so if we have the consumer who really knows that we need something more and everything is not dictated by or the answer for everything is not IVF or IUI, then I think we're going to start to expand how we support couples who are going through fertility challenges that haven't been getting that support up until this time. And I think that's really important because I believe that 70 to 80% of all couples who go to IVF and have IVF are doing it prematurely or unnecessarily. But that's the only option they know or have been told is going to be their solution but they're not always told why they have the problem. So often there's it's unexplained or, you know, okay, you've just been trying for a year, so we're just gonna send you to the IVF clinic, but there's no real understanding as to why. And I'm not saying that IVF is wrong or, um, or it won't be successful, but is it needed, right? It shouldn't always be driven by financial gains. And so really what else can be done before we get to that point in time and before we send couples to do IVF, I think is a really important conversation to have or to at least think about and conceptualize. And, and that's, that's valuable, right? You know, IVF is challenging. It's often an experiment. Um, it's expensive. You know, it, it shouldn't be the, the main solution to everything. And again, I don't have anything against IVF. I think there's certainly a time and a place for it. About 50% of the couples we work with go through IVF and IUI. So there's nothing wrong with it. And I literally, I, I'm here to just really educate couples and give them the information and be a sounding board for them, but it's not my decision to make. So I'm going to meet couples where they're at and support them through that process if that's natural or 
with some form of assistive technique, uh, my goal is to make that process uh, successful. But I want them to have all the information they need to make those decisions properly for themselves so that they can know what they need to do. And, th and that's really like my initial thought on, on that. I was going to ask you the percentage, so I'm glad you shared just like how much of it is really necessary. So you're saying like 70, 80% probably don't need to go that route. That's just all they know. Yeah. And I mean, then... yeah, because, you know, IVF was created, if we think about it, it should really only be used in certain circumstances. We're having issues with sperm. The sperm can't get to the egg yeah. and it's not yeah. fertilizing. There's something structurally wrong, let's say in the uterus, or we're having something structurally wrong with the ovaries. You know, there's certain circumstances that it was really created for. It shouldn't be just like the first line of defense when it comes to, oh, someone's having trouble getting pregnant. Okay, let's just do IVF. And that's what it's become. It totally has. And it's, it's sad because like you said, it's so expensive and it doesn't always work either. So then you're like, cause then if there are these other issues too, then it could just happen that it's not going to work regardless. So I feel like it's so important to have access to the information that you're sharing. And I guess my other question is like, if 80, let's say like that, statistic you shared 80% might not need to then like the 50% in your clinic that decide that route would you say like 80% of the 50% probably still doesn't need to well often what happens with the couples that we see and support is I, I view them a little bit differently because often by the time they come to me they've tried a, a lot of things and time is creeping up on them so the you know, there, there's two pieces to looking at something like this, right? It's, it's, do I really need it from a medical perspective? Like medically, is it going to be the answer for what I need? And the other piece is, well, I've been trying for five years. Like I spoke to someone yesterday and literally they've been trying for eight years to get pregnant. So, wow. um, you know, if, if she's been trying for eight years and they've done a bunch of different things, like is it time for them to go to IVF, right? Like how long do you wait before you make that decision? And so that's the other piece that's really hard to quantify. It's, I've been trying for X amount of time. We want X amount of children. I don't want to be pregnant when I'm X age, or I don't want to have, you know, have children at this age when I'm this age. And so at some point we've got to try something different. And so I don't, I don't, uh, it's not my place to judge and I don't criticize in any way. I think those decisions are, and those variables and factors are real factors that need to be considered when we're making these decisions and trying to decide if we're going to do IVF or whatever else we're going to do. And when do we go about doing that? So we all have our own time frame. We all have, you know, these variables that creep in that, you know, impact our decision-making. So, yeah, I mean, I could say that about that 50% of the couples that are going through IVF in our population, we could say, yes, it's the same thing for them, but I view that population a little bit differently for, for that reason. Yeah, that makes sense. And age does make a huge difference, especially when you're not just trying to conceive one child, but you want to have multiple children as well. So absolutely. It does. Yeah. I would like to know a few things like okay. what things, I mean, let's just take like our current situation, for example, I, this in terms of things that impact fertility, right? And it's my belief that like we, again, like the Western medical model 
is treating the body in term not like holistically so we're targeting different things so when you're going through having any sort of challenge that you're dealing with from from yes like maybe a disorder or for me for for example like i had hashimotos i I used to take medication for it, but I completely stopped and healed it naturally, which like, again, people think that they need to be on their thyroid medication forever, but I have no antibodies for Hashimoto's anymore, right? So, but I guess, um, so for the question I want to ask you is, you know, let's just take the recent coronavirus, um, COVID-19 vaccine, for example. We know that women were impacted, their periods were impacted from receiving the vaccine. So most likely we can also um, like just consider that it could have affected fertility. I'm curious, and I and it's not just the vaccine, there's so many things that we do in our day-to-day lives that we take, that pharmaceuticals, all these things that can impact our fertility. So I'm curious if you can kind of speak a little bit to that and um, if that if you've seen that affect people, what are things, because obviously we have a huge population that has been vaccinated, like what are things that, and not just the COVID vaccine, um, p- women are told to get the flu vaccine when they're pregnant, to get a lot of different vaccines or different things to um, protect the baby, like how does that affect their process, their fertility and like, and keeping the baby? Have you seen, or can you share with us your experience? Um, Yeah. So, you know, this, this gets into somewhat of a a tricky area. No, no, no. (laughs) I only, I only say that because there's not a lot of research first and foremost, and then two, there's not a lot of research that's easily accessible that will provide the information that many of us deserve to have and, and have accessible to make those decisions for ourselves. On the flip side, you know, we, we, each individual situation, especially as we're talking about COVID specifically, I think needs to be evaluated based on our so many variables, you know, our age, our health, our previous uh, medical history, um, where we work and what we're exposed to. So a lot of those decisions are not uniform decisions that we all can make the same thing um, or the same decision. And that was something, that was a conversation I was having with a lot of uh, couples, obviously much more during the height of the pandemic than we are at this moment in time. But in short, I, I can easily say that the that we absolutely saw issues on both sides of the coin with COVID. We saw it both with the virus and we saw it with the vaccine. Um, So it's not isolated. I saw many, many um, women who got COVID, um, especially early on, um, not as much now with, with, um, you know, the way the, the virus has mutated and changed, but especially early on, we saw that that was absolutely impacting their hormones and their cycles and their health um, huge inflammation, um, inflammatory markers and an inflammatory response was happening in immune issues. So maybe someone who had immune issues or had a propensity to inflammation, maybe their approach to managing that part of the pandemic should have been different than someone who didn't have a lot of immune issues, really was at home anyway, and so forth. So I think those circumstances were a little bit different, but individual uh, individuality at that time was, really wasn't something that was considered or discussed. 
Um, now, on, on the vaccine side of things, absolutely, we've seen issues with the vaccine. I've seen it in multiple places. You just brought up women, but I'm going to bring up both women and men. Um, um, and actually, for men, I'm going to say specifically the virus was the bigger issue, not the vaccine when we've looked at research and, and follow them. And I'm just telling you anecdotally also, clinically what I've seen is that men who got the virus and the more severe the virus was, the worse of an impact it had on their sperm quality. Now, typically we saw that shift back to normal for the most part within four or five months, but absolutely we've seen, we, we saw a huge decline even to this day, if someone gets COVID, if a man gets COVID and they've got a, a fever, now we'll see that we'll see that um, uh, impact uh, their semen analysis. Now, I will say, and I do want to be clear about this: is all viruses can do the same thing. So, not it's not exclusive to COVID that if a man gets a virus and they have a fever, if we did a semen analysis before and after, odds are we'll see that there's an impact there. The benefit is that we also know that with a little bit of time for the most part, we'll see that improve and go back to normal. So that's one piece of it. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought that's really interesting. Yeah, the, the, the vaccine for women, I didn't notice as much of an issue. I'm not saying I didn't notice an issue, but I didn't notice as much of an issue with the initial vaccine that women were getting with their hormones and their cycles. I have noticed a much bigger issue with all the boosters that they're getting because we're not meant to get boosters in the time frame that we were getting them. You know, when you think about most other vaccines, and let's just take the flu, because you mentioned it, and it's an easy one to talk about. When you talk about the flu, it's not like you get the flu vaccine in January, and then you get a booster in March, and then you get another booster in September for the flu vaccine. Like those who decide to get the flu vaccine, they get one a year, okay, for the most part. So we were getting three or four in a year. That to me is excessive. Um, it, it's not the way vaccines were meant. It's not the way our body is meant to handle them. And I think we were all just acting off of fear and not off of logic and medicine. That's the, my first thought there. Secondly, we, we, are, we did see an impact with those people who were getting the boosters. Um, and I think it's for that very reason. It, we, I saw hormone levels dramatically shift. I saw it I saw ovulation stop. I saw cycles get skipped. Um, these things were a concern. The positive is that with the right support um, and, and a little bit of time, we were seeing those things go back to normal. The, the real frustrating part of it is that no one is supporting couples in this way. They're just saying, yeah, get the booster and then come in for your IVF cycle and you can get pregnant. And they're not logically thinking through it and saying, well, if you get the booster, then let's give you a little bit of time before we move forward with, with your treatment. And so that, that piece is a bit frustrating for me. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, we, we can't make all decisions off of fear. We have to make our decisions off of logic and reasoning and, and science. And we need to look at that critically for ourselves um, to, so that you can make the best decision for yourself in terms of what makes sense for you at, at any given time. That makes sense. Yeah, just individualizing it. I I don't believe in one size fits all medicine, so it makes sense to look at it in that way. But I think again, it goes back to like people just aren't trained or equipped to um, address it that way. Mm -hmm. And I I love that you 
you know, say that it's up to the consumer. It's up to us as the public to really consider those things. Just like it's up to us as the public to really demand like organic food and look at what's going on with the organic food industry. You know, it's booming and it's because consumers are the ones wanting that. Um, yeah, again, absolutely. I, and we should want it, by the way. That's a whole conversation about food quality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I always say like our food should just automatically be organic and we shouldn't have to pay extra for organic food. But that's like another thing that just I can go deep into. But I really you know, love that. Do you mind? Do you mind if I make a I, comment real quick about do, about that? Please do. Okay. I feel like I've I am so seen as like super extreme by my family for being like, no, my children, like we all need to eat organic. So I'd love for you to like comment on that. Yeah. I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's much question. Like it's a hundred percent true. My comments can be a little bit different, but on the same line there, like, I don't think there's much more for me to elaborate in terms of organic food. We all deserve to have organic food and healthy food. That's not full of pesticides, chemicals, and toxins that are going to impact our overall health. So that should be a given. But that comes back also to me to, and I've been talking about this much more recently because I, I've seen a bigger issue with it. That comes back to alcohol. So alcohol is a big piece of our modern culture in multiple ways. It's how we socialize, it's how we de-stress. And you know, as much as I think all of that is probably overdone just a little bit, my point is really not about that. My point is about the quality. There's a, there was a research study done now, I think right before COVID it came out, but I don't remember exactly when that tested beer and wine in the United States. And 100% of all the beer and wine produced in the United States, including all the wonderful wine that everybody likes to get from California and Napa Valley and so forth, all of it has, did have, does have, and will continue to have Roundup, a ton of pesticides. That's oh glyphosate. God. That's a terrible chemical. We know all sorts of issues. It's been in the news because of all lawsuits and cancer and so forth. So they've had, it has tons, tons of Roundup in it. And even the organic ones that everyone says is better, yes, they're better. They have less Roundup, but they still have a lot of Roundup in it. So every time you're drinking that beer, every time you're drinking that glass of wine, if it came from the United States, I want you all to have the thought, and I'm doing this on purpose, that you are drinking a glass of Roundup. Do you wow. want that in your body? Is that exactly how you want to do it? I understand you might want alcohol. There's other ways to get it, other forms to consume it in. And so, you know, I want everyone to understand that, that you're making a conscious decision. And unless we stop consuming it, they're going to keep doing it. Now, Roundup stays in the earth and in the soil for hundreds of years. So it's not like it's just going to go away, but it's got to start someplace. Um, yeah. And if we don't, you know, if we don't make that change with our dollars, then it's not going to change. And we all need better options. And there are better options even today out there for all of those things. But certainly we deserve for that piece to be changed. Even biodynamic wine, like you said, like, again, it's less, but also they might grow it um, organically or biodynamic grapes, but then they gas it and they do all these other things post-processing and to make it where it's the farthest thing from natural wine that could be but i'm glad you brought up alcohol i actually just was talking to dr will cole too and he talks about it a lot and it's just important to bring up because like you said it's just part of our society and it's considered you know to just be this 
um, thing to do to get the edge off, which I guess like, you know, whatever to each their own, but to really change that perspective from why am I drinking a glass of Roundup to get the edge off? You know, it's like really actually yeah. wreaking havoc in my whole body um, yeah. and, and changing, you know, my, just the whole structure inside to maybe that does end up creating more anxiety, more issues right down the line yeah. because of- It causes all sorts of other health issues. Absolutely. And I should mention, because this is becoming more legal in all sorts of states, soon to be legal nationally and federally, um, is, you know, marijuana, by the way, that's sprayed as well. Um, and unless, you know, I, I don't know the qualification that you're looking for. I know that there are some brands out there that don't use pesticides and chemicals on the crop, but that's the same thing, by the way, for everybody listening. Yeah, no, that's really yeah. important to bring up. And, and I am curious about like the CBD products and stuff that are using that. I guess I haven't even looked into, I'm sure that there's like organic CBD, but yeah, it's so important to be aware of what you're consuming and things that we don't think about that can totally be sprayed. I mean, almonds, like there's so many health products that have almonds in them and I love almond milk, but I make sure my almonds are organic and there's so many brands out there that are health products that are using heavily sprayed, you know, almonds or oats, for example, that are an alternative that you're paying a premium for, for this like alternative thing that is great, but then you want to make sure it's organic because otherwise those are heavily sprayed cops as well. So it just Correct. kind of, yeah. it goes farther and farther, but, um, but yeah, I so know, I, wanted, I know that's not what our conversation was supposed to be about, but I felt like I needed to add that in. It plays a role in, um, you know, production of semen and it plays a role in like the holistic treatment to support natural fertility because really that's what it comes down to we're so far from the natural world you know i talk about this a lot we sit inside we don't we have so much to heal from nature that we need we can incorporate but i think we're just people that just sit inside on our phones on our computers we don't even take our shoes off to go um, ground into the earth. If we do, we go outside and there's like turf and asphalt, you know, that's like the closest right. thing. So I think it's just the, the more we talk about it, the more there's like this shift in, oh, okay, this is what I need to like look for. This is what I want to do. I want the sun to heal me. There is information in the wind that there's just so much information in the natural world that we can get. But yeah, so I wanted to ask you, I know that you support really traditional practices that we love and that we've advocated for like pelvic steaming and castor oil packs. And that's something that even a lot of natural fertility practitioners don't get into. And so I'd love for you to share how you've seen that in your practice really support the women that you've, um, that you've helped. Yeah. I mean, both of those two therapies. Um, I often refer to them as home therapies because they're things that we individually can do at home to support our health. And that's part of, I believe, you know, being more empowered because it's something you can do to support your uh, reproductive organs. Um, but both of those have been used traditionally in cultures for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And there's a reason that they have been. Castor oil has been used for many, many reasons and, and many health benefits over those different cultures. And it helps to increase circulation, helps to break up obstructions and masses, helps for things to move 
prop more properly. Um, sometimes you'll hear about it as like a natural laxative or to help with constipation. I love it as a detoxifier over the liver and uterus, but also if someone has endometriosis, fibroids, cysts, things of that nature, um, it's something that I often recommend. And so that to me is is a big a big piece to add in and utilize. And, and also the same thing, you call it pelvic uh, steaming, I call it vaginal steaming. Um, I think we're talking about the same thing, um, but the herbs, one, you can use different herbs for different things, but uh, the herbs in general, are meant to kind of revitalize the vaginal area, the cervical canal, the uterus and the cervix can help with healing. You know, to me, this is like self-care. This is all part of self-care and was something that was normally done uh, traditionally after a woman was done menstruating, they would do, you know, like a session of steaming to help make sure that everything was out and clean and, and ready to go for the upcoming cycle. And that to me is something that we all can do in the right way. I love recommending it in the right circumstances. Um, and it's something that, you know, maybe recently I haven't talked about a lot, but I do recommend when I work with couples in, in uh, certain circumstances. Yeah, I've um, recent, well, we recently launched a product and we call it pelvic steaming because we, I also realized that it's men a nice, can do it's it. It's a nice too. phrase. <laughs> Nice phrase, but also men can do it too. But yes, um, they can. But yeah, it's just yeah. you know something that I believe that every woman should have in their arsenal, um, regardless of you know if they're trying to work on fertility. There's so many other things that we want to support, even menopause, just hormone balance, all that. So I agree with you. I I became so passionate about it. I looked into becoming a certified peristeam hydrotherapist as well Beautiful. because I. Think is so important to, uh, you know, we have this product now and I want to be able to share it and speak to it more. And I was really excited to hear that you had promoted that for your patients as well. I, I want to kind of just like we have a few minutes left and I wanted to ask you what you wish more people knew about fertility and like as they go on to consider it because my path was pretty simple. My husband and I have been together since high school. So I, you know, I never thought about, oh, okay, I need to, I really want to have a kid, but I first need to find a, someone who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And at this point, I think a lot of women are, you know, considering freezing their eggs and if they don't have the right partner. And there's just so many things that I think you get to this age and then you realize, oh gosh, like what am I supposed to do? And I think that we can start supporting our fertility and our hormones early on. And as parents who I think like the lifestyle, like holistic community has really grown. And now millennials who are interested in this are having children. And we're thinking about how do we support our daughters on this journey from the get-go to learn more about their bodies? And so, and what are the things that we can support them and considering early on, not to put a lot of pressure on them, but so that we don't end up finding ourselves in this situation later on. So I'm just curious, like, what are the things that you wish people knew more about um, early on, what they taught their children about, and and what it is if someone's actively looking to support their fertility because they're actively looking to get pregnant in the next year, what you recommend? Yeah, there's a lot there, and I love this question. I think it's really um, it's really important. You know, I think first and foremost, 
it starts with better education. You're not going to get better reproductive education, sex education in the schools. It's just not going to happen. So it has to happen at home. You know, we have to educate our children so that they're not scared, so that they understand and they have real informed knowledge that is factual. You know, and by that, I mean, when we were all kids, you know, we were led to believe that if, you know, you basically looked at your boyfriend or girlfriend, touch them, you're going to get pregnant. Like, God forbid you had fun with them and you weren't worried that, oh my God, I'm going to get pregnant or I'm going to get someone pregnant. You know, we know as we get older that that's not the case, that you ovulate at a certain time and you have a small window of time that you can conceive. Now, I understand why we say this to kids because we don't want them going out, you know, like rabbits. But, but um, on the flip side, it changed their thought process. The thought process of all these individuals is that, oh, when I stop birth control or when I want to have children, I can just get pregnant easily. So I'll just wait till whatever age and it won't be a problem. Well, that's not a factual statement. I mean, first and foremost, at most or at best, we have a 25 to 30% chance of conceiving when we're in our, tw in our early 20s. That's the best it's ever going to be. So, you know, we need to better educate them and it shouldn't be based off of fear. Okay. That's first and foremost. And secondly, the answer is not birth control for every female issue, hormonal issue. It's just not. How about we take some responsibility, we make some changes to lifestyle and diet and whatever else, and we support them with some other natural means so that they're not on, on all these synthetic hormones, which have potentially some long-term issues and effects. That's, you know, that's second. So for me, it comes back to better education. Secondly, it's also starting sooner. You know, if you know that you want to have children in a year's time or two years time, or once you're finished, you know, getting married, then how about we be proactive before that to make sure everything is in order so that way when you want to, it's a much easier process. Or that if you know you have hormonal issues and you've been dealing with those for quite some time, maybe we for sure need to be more proactive before we want to have children. And, you know, and then it's asking questions, like just not just going along and um, just trusting. It's, it's being informed, asking questions so that you can make the best decisions for yourself. You know, there's so much having to do with perspective. If you ask, and, and that's why I think we need to ask different individuals, different healthcare providers from different specialties or different modes of treatment, because you ask an OBGYN who's trained one way, they're going to give you one answer. You ask a natural fertility expert uh, the same question, they're going to give you potentially a different answer. And then at least you're informed by those responses that you get so that you could make the best decision for yourself. So getting multiple opinions and having different perspectives on that. And last but not least, you know, Believe, believe in yourself, believe in your body's ability to achieve the goals that it wants to achieve, that it was created to achieve. Like we were all created to have children. So we need to have, we need to restore that belief in ourselves so that way we can trust our bodies and know that if we give it what it needs, that it will provide for us what we're asking it to do. I love that. I love what you said about um, birth control. I completely agree. And, and again, yes, believing because we were, this is what we were created to do. And I think that we've grown in society and women have gotten more rights and women are in the workplace and we're growing our careers. Like we've forgotten that this is literally what our body has been created to do. And this is what we're meant to do. And our body knows how to do it without us even doing much effort, right? We like grow a human. It's so incredible. It's beautiful. And I, 
I want that for every woman who wants that for herself. And I know that for people that are listening or if you or anyone you know is ready to start a family, I know Mark can help you get pregnant um, wherever you are through his virtual consultations and online programs. So Mark, please let us know how people can contact you so they can work with you. Yeah. So, um, you know, simply my website is marksklar.com. That's Mark with a C. You know, I think the best way for people to learn more about me and, and see how I think and work is through my YouTube channel, which is uh, Fertility TV. Um, I put out a new episode every week. Um, and then we usually provide all of our links in the in the show notes and the description there on each episode. You can also find me on Instagram or uh, Facebook as The Fertility Expert. Um, and a little bit, but not too much just yet on, on TikTok. But those are the main ways you can find me. It's exciting. Yeah, TikTok is a growing <laughs> platform that we're <laughs> yeah. kind of rocking our heads over. But I'm sure you have such incredible content to share. And I appreciate you coming on our podcast. I'm excited to continue our relationship. And I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks so much, Nikki, for having me. I enjoyed our conversation.